and welcome to the Tron Church Talking Points podcast, a chance in the middle of the week to think again about how God was speaking to us through his word in our Sunday services. Now, Sunday morning was exciting. Uh, I heard a different sermon from the one that Paul preached on Revelation chapter 4 and 5, um, but we we did all hear um, preaching on Revelation four and five, so we're gonna we're gonna start off there in our conversation. We'll just today. quickly see why that was why. Do you want to say why? Do you think so? Do you, I just I was going for an element of mystery and intrigue. Can I just keep it like, uh, like Yeah. I think some people heard a better sermon than others. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying which one was better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Phil, uh, let's let's kick off by asking you what what's really struck you from from Revelation 4 or 5, from, from the sermon that you did here. Yeah, it. definitely. Um, was struck with uh, lots of things, the power of, 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 our, of our God, his sovereignty, the throne. I think, but as well, thing that that when Paul brought us out really helpfully about the worship being everywhere, praise being everywhere, uh, all around the throne of the, the Lord God and the Lamb. And uh, that's what we're for. Mm. And... Uh, that's the right logical response, you know. It's not. This is not just a kind of couple of chapters to uh, encourage us to know the truth about God. Although that is our purpose. The main purpose is to, to bring us to our knees, to humble us, um, to praise the Lord. That really just really struck with me uh, because if you don't, if the eyes of your heart are so taken up with the visible world which undoubtedly will happen because we're in the visible world that's visible. If the eyes of your heart uh, aren't frequently reminded of, of, of the throne and what goes along, what goes on around the throne, this praise and worship, then you you will just slip away from that. So I was really thankful for the, the way you brought that out so helpfully. And, um, be a yeah. mistake to think of, of worship then as chore or, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or drudge if it's, if it's what we're make, made for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get to worship. Mm. That's a privilege to do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as, as Phil said, it's it is the it's the only possible response when mm. when John sees this vision and everyone there. That is the only possible response to the glory mm. of God. Because mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a description of God in this chapter. Mm. You get a description of the impact mm-hmm. of His glory. Um, you get nothing described about him. It's mm-hmm. what's going on around yeah. um, mm-hmm. because of his his holiness, his perfection, his power, mm-hmm. um, and the only possible response is is worship. And it's mm-hmm. everything, isn't it? Uh, chapter five, it it kind of moves out from immediately around the throne uh, to those immediately there. But then the last chorus is everything, all of creation, every living thing. Is praising and worshiping God, um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of. I found it pretty hard actually preparing this because you can't do justice to it. It's, yeah. mm. um, it's it's just something too mm. too wonderful really to comprehend. Mm. But the impact on us should be well to humble us, mm. but it's also a great source of joy uh, because we're seeing into. Uh, eternal things and mm. universal things it's really comforting and reassuring mm. for christians mm. because mm. we get caught up with the world we can see mm. but this is this is a drawing back of the curtain revelation is a unveiling and this is unveiling to a super deeper reality 
and uh, it should bring us real comfort mm. to know that God's on the throne, the lamb is slain, mm. the scroll, which nobody could open, okay. is able to be opened. And it's very striking, isn't it? John weeps at the start of chapter 5 when nobody there can open the scroll. He weeps, um, but then the slain lamb arrives and can open it, and it's no more weeping. Uh, mm. That's... Uh, what what we see here is a source of joy for Christians and mm, should mm, bring mm. us real reassurance, I think. And I just think about, you know, if we didn't have this, or if you didn't have access to this, didn't know this, didn't believe this, like, what would life be like? It would be full of fear, mm. uncertainty, history is just a random bit of chaos headed somewhere you don't know. Probably in utter destruction. Mm-hmm. Is what people aimless, are aimless, yeah. pointless. You've got no purpose. Uh, yeah, it's bleak indeed. Contrast to ha- what we feel like when we have this and believe this. And I mean, I, I appreciate Sunday mornings from that point of view because actually, it's a, it's a. I don't know. Is it a little unveiling? It's a certainly a reminder of the great gathering that we're going to. Christopher Ash talks about churches being scattered gatherings. Mm-hmm. So anticipating that great gathering, which mm-hmm. I really love. And, you know, we are caught up in the worship that is around the throne now. It's not mm-hmm. something we need to no. wait for. Yes. Because this is this is now mm. and will continue in eternity, isn't it? What we're seeing in Revelation. Yep. yep. Um, and so you come on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't have any children to bring. It's very straightforward for me to get to church on a Sunday morning. Even then it can be a bit of a struggle. But I come on a Sunday morning and we hear God's word and it it it, it just reminds you to look behind the veil to see to see the thing, to mm. to to believe with your heart, not just with your eyes. Yes. Mm. And the, the the unseen reality which governs the visible reality. Yeah. We often think it might be the other way around, but it's it's not. It's uh here is the sovereignty of the Lord. I think I guess you were talking about that about the when Willie one of the points he brought out was just the sovereignty over the universe and the yes. things made. Yeah, and it's e- it's easy to think that this isn't that this throne isn't there yet, or comes and goes as I remember it. Hmm. But actually, whether I remember it or not, this is the area. Mm-hmm. This is what is happening in heaven just now, as this worship is being given. The throne is there. The throne is established. Hmm. Um, the Lord reigns um, over everything. Hmm. You know those things. You think I fear for the future of my kids. Hmm. Is there a throne in heaven? What is that throne yeah, like? The, mm-hmm. Is the Lord reigning over the yeah. future of my kids? Yes, yes, yes definitely. He yeah, he's the throne over Babylon. He's no match yeah. for uh, the one who's holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. No competition. No. And there's no surprises in this heaven. Yeah. There's nothing going to take, mm. um, mm. take the Lord on this throne un- unawares. Mm. Another thing I find really helpful, the way Paul, yeah, use scripture to interpret scripture. And, you know, I think one of the things, remember when you teed up the series about Revelation is that it has traditionally, sadly, tragically over the years, been a bit of a hunting ground for crackpot theology and all sorts of unhelpful scaremongering. And, uh, but actually the way to control what, you know, when we're reading these things and all the little details, is actually to know your Old Testament. Yeah. That came up again and again. That was an eye-opener for me. Yeah, I mean... It's really helpful. Just if you if you get a moment, just read the first, the start of Ezekiel, and there's just stacks of stuff that is picked up here in Revelation, and uh, particularly Revelation four and five. But yeah, you, 
you read this, you kind of come to this cold, and you think, what on earth's going on? But then once you start to dig around, you, there's all these references to the Old Testament, and it suddenly begins to make sense of, mm -hmm. okay, that, that's what this is referring to, and that's what this is showing us about the Lord and who mm -hmm. he is. So Revelation is not just a sort of... Um, it's not a magic code. No, it's not. It's, it's Some people it's, have and other people don't. It's it's um it's drawing on so many threads in the scriptures that um mm -hmm. uh, yeah if, we, if we're not up to speed with the Old Testament or if we don't have a good commentary or something helpful to read it alongside we're gonna we're gonna be misinterpreting it and yeah getting the wrong end of the stick yeah. so so you 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 were talking about a reference to kingdom of kingdom of priests kingdom and priests is that right. Verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. Yeah, okay. uh, it's linked back to yes. chapter 1, description in chapter 1 of what the benediction at the start of chapter 1. You've made the kingdom and priest to our God. And it's all through the atoning work of the lamb slain, isn't it? Yeah. So the question is, what, what does that mean today? Hmm. Like, what, what was this talking about in terms of us being a kingdom and priests to our God? Well, it, it can often look pretty unimpressive you know we just read this amazing description mm -hmm. in chapters four and five this is the reality in heaven that's and that is where we are headed in the end god with his people reigning for eternity what does it look like now well it can often look pretty small and meager um, because god is at the moment gathering his people through the gospel mm -hmm. um, the church is the means by which he's mm -hmm. doing that as we make and grow disciples and that can look pretty unimpressive a lot of the time. Um, it can be a handful of believers in a small corner of, you know, a random country in the world. But that is, that's a real expression of the kingdom of God now um, doing its work. So yeah. in the day-to-day, -day, it can not necessarily look impressive. Mm -hmm. In fact, often not. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is a real expression of, of God's kingdom today. Yeah. Great. And we were also in on Sunday at One Kings. Um, so we are we're we're currently flicking back to find one one Kings. Rustling of pages, rustling of Friend of mine uh, once wrote into a Radio Four program which was all about your favourite sounds or soundscapes. And she wrote in to say that her favourite sound was the sound of people looking up their Bibles mm. in a church service. It, it didn't make it onto the Radio 4 programme, but it was, a, <laughs> sure it was an excellent suggestion. Mm. Um, Phil, thank you thank you very much for um, your work on, on One Kings. And I don't know, when I, whenever, I've, privilege. Privilege. whenever I've been uh, reading through mm. One Kings, one of my problems, I <laughs> have mm. many problems uh, with it, it would be... Um, I just get a bit lost. It's mm. there. There are such big books. Mm. Um, some of it can seem mm. samey. In fact, mm. even the names. You've got Ahijahs and Abijams and yes. Abners, and it seems to me that all the names begin with A or mm. AB or mm. or Jai. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm in trouble. So yeah. just a, any sort of reflections on, sure. on what it is you're doing that yes. kind of helps make sense. Because if somebody was doing, say, one mm. of those. Um, mm. Bible in a year mm. things you're going to be reading two or three yeah. chapters possibly yeah. any help on that? Yeah I think don't panic is the first thing I see and, and there's a quote I can't remember off the top of my head but Alec Motier one of our great Bible teachers of recent times um, he taught us this was in the context about talking about the fact that maybe this age this section in church uh, the history of the church the history of the kingdom of God salvation history is not well known and especially because 
this is the time when the prophets ministered as well. As he was talking about the writing prophets, not just um, these books, but what he says applies to every book in the Bible. He just says, I think a big problem is just being unfamiliar with the content. Mm -hmm. And there's no substitution for just reading and reading and reading and going back over it and mm -hmm. get to get get used to it. So I think if you and when you say reading and reading and reading I'd, over years, over years, yeah, yeah, over your life, I, you know, he was he was one of the many guys who would always come back to a book that he'd maybe preached many times, and he would always say things like, "Oh yeah, I've just finally getting around to understanding this now." Mm. Uh, but that's the beauty of the word of God. We're never going to exhaust it, I think, in this life. And mm. if we think we've exhausted it, I think that's when you've got problems. And so, um, if you're if we're unfamiliar with I, something, it's yeah. all right. We it's all right. Keep going. Don't panic. Don't panic. Keep going. Keep. You'll come back to it as well. But um, I think also that's one of the things I was talking to someone recently about this. But I think that is what's that is the purpose maybe of private Bible reading more than anything else, is just to get used to the get familiar with the terrain of the Bible. Because mm -hmm. as you get to know the, the full picture of the Bible and just what's in there, not necessarily doing, although you can, mm -hmm. but not do necessarily doing like big in-depth study. I mean, I have we have the privilege of being paid so that I'm free to serve the Word of God and and read it and study it and go through Kings again and again and again. Um, I think though I would just take your time Enjoy the story, the narrative line. It's a true story, mm -hmm. but enjoy the story, the richness. Mm -hmm. Look for mm -hmm. the characters. Mm -hmm. um, take your time with that and uh, try and, if you were going to look at a section in more depth, then just pay attention to the structure and where does it change? So like, like so for example, Sunday evening there, we looked at three kings. That's not the third book in the series, sorry. <laughs> we looked at three uh, kings of the nation of Judah in the south. And I took them together purposefully because the, the from this point in the book, really, there is a jumping between what's going on in the northern kingdom to what's going on in the southern kingdom. Next Sunday, God willing, we'll look at chapter 16 and uh, you get um, a whole bunch of Israelite kings in the north. Mm-hmm. But then the, the the narrative really then, if you've got a Bible in front of you, 16 verse 29, uh, there's been a rapid, you know, bunch of kings mentioned, really quick turnovers, it's really corrupt, It's not. it doesn't make for pleasurable reading. But then it focuses on uh, King Ahab. And why is that? Why does it focus on Ahab? Because um, Ahab, I think he, he's the main king in focus for a long time now in the book for a whole bunch of chapters the answer is because under his reign the ministries of elijah and elisha take place mm -hmm. and look for repeated themes as you go through it's like if you learn through the book of acts you see the repeated theme of the the power of the word and the gospel spreading even in the faces of, of opposition all the way through kings you'll find repeated theme of the the word of god and the obedience to have faith and trust in the word of god and its power over kings, um, I think that's the the key melodic line of mm -hmm, the of the mm -hmm. book. But again, don't panic. Take your time, and uh, remember another thing: just narrative is not normative. Is that classic little phrase? So just because something's mentioned in a passage doesn't mean to say that it's been praised or condemned. Actually, mm -hmm. I, I that's one thing I find the hardest thing about kings is sometimes there's passages where there's ambiguity. 
And me and my personality, I'd much rather it just be clearly wrong or clearly right. Yes. You know, clearly to be followed or clearly to be shunned. But sometimes it's, it's much messier than that. It's just this is what happened. Just as this is what happened. And then usually the answer to why you get ambiguous reports in the text, usually the answer is found in the context from either what comes before or what comes after it. Mm. Um, we found it at what I think was an ambiguous section at the end of King uh, Asa's reign. He was a gift of God's grace. He brought great reform in Judah, brought you know godly demolition work, getting rid of the idolatry that his forefathers had brought into the land. And yet, at the end of his reign, there's a there was a there was a thing that I think just looking at the details. If you read it charitably, it was ambiguous at best. I think more realistically, looking at the details, and I said this, um, it, it is it was it was to show that he was whilst he was a faithful king, who had a heart that truly did trust the Lord, he was also flawed mm. and made some bad decisions towards the end of his life, but. Mm. Um, but there's real pastoral warmth there, isn't there? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll we'll probably come back to that. Thank, thank, yeah. thanks, Phil. Yeah. Um, Paul, what what struck you from One Kings fourteen fifteen? Yeah, that was really that was really excellent, Phil. And um, yeah, a couple of things to pick up on. One was the from your first uh, point, looking at uh, Rehoboam and just the way that that section was structured. It's very striking, isn't it? When he pointed it out. It begins and ends with uh, his mother's name, Namer, the Ammonite. Hmm. You get that at the start and at the end, which is quite unusual. Hmm. And um, you read the word Ammonite and alarm bells ring. And mm -hmm. um, just the consequence of him uh, wedding himself to someone outside of God's people and the impact of that marriage and what that... Yes, Solomon, that's, that's, that's right. right. Yes, yes. Is, is the father of Rehoboam's. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just you, you you teased out the well the application for us and the, the I guess the dangers of mm. um, hooking ourselves so so intimately with folk from outside of mm. the the family of faith and yeah. just the dangers that brings. Yep. Um, be helpful mm. just to talk through that a little bit and mm. why it is just so deadly and unwise and i just wondered if there was wider implications as well beyond romantic entanglement yeah, yes yeah. yes to actually just yeah because we there is a truth that we want to be friends with non-christians we want to win people for christ but what we don't want to do is end up being entangled and snared and mm. <laughs> so that we become just like the world mm. around about us and uh yeah I think it's it's just a case of being discerning, isn't it? Because especially when you when we looked at the the sort of idolatry that flooded in and it flooded into Judah, it's just so rapid. It seems the idolatry that flooded into Judah, the the, the people of Judah didn't make that stuff up. The cult prostitutes, the Asherah poles, the pillars to the you know the imported yeah, yeah Canaanite. It was all Canaanite stuff and. Uh, they were aping Canaanite religion, I think. And so, so if apart from, in addition to those romantic entanglements, um, the real the real danger of ending up just all entangled in mm. in a one person, mm. and being drawn away by that. Where else are we in danger? Do you reckon, Paul? Well, I just I wonder what, um, you know, it's it's the sort of it's the whispering in the ear, isn't it of uh, you can sort of imagine Solomon's wife just sort of gradually just 
chipping away. Pushing that way. And, um, you know, there's so many voices around us and so many things that have our ear. I mean, they're even called influencers, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. It's, it's, it's bold, isn't it? Yeah. Nobody's yeah. kidding about yeah. the fact that... But all the time, we are being presented with alternative <laughs> idols, mm. alternative gods to worship. Mm-hmm. And because it's so in our face, every time we look at our phone, which mm. we do a lot... It's there, and that's the pressure of that is pretty. Mm. It's pretty full on. It, it can start to shape our thinking, and it can start to, mm. uh, in ways we maybe don't even realize, just moderate how we mm. Mm. how we assess things, how we see the world. Um, so I think it's just being careful with the, mm. the influences that little innocuous videos. But if if it's a if it's a big part of our diet or what we spend our time on, it's. Mm going to dominate our thinking isn't it mm-hmm. I was listening to something recently that was just talking about the fact that you're talking to teenage kids about perhaps videos or tv programs or music videos and and rather than just saying you must not watch these actually sitting down with them and saying okay so what <laughs> what's the ideology mm-hmm. what's the worldview what's this selling you what yes. does this make you think you need to have to be as happy as these people look and of course it doesn't you know, nobody tells you what they look like when the cameras are switched off. But actually having that conversation and maybe just having that conversation with myself and watching it, why am I so attracted to this telly program? Mm-hmm. That's right. Um yeah. what what's this wanting me to wrap my heart around? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's not the Lord Jesus. Um That's great. Yeah, yeah, and maybe just having that little sort of analysis myself rather than yeah, sort of mindlessly right. mindlessly mm-hmm. watching stuff. Mm-hmm. Um or or looking and saying, Well this um, you even just analysing and saying oh, that this is this is good that this this is picked up something from God's good creation yes. that I can enjoy. Huh. Maybe that that's why it's enjoyable. There's yes. you know there's yeah. just thinking those things through. Yeah, it's dead easy just to think oh it's all about you shouldn't marry a non-Christian, mm. which you should. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's much more than that going yeah. on, isn't there? Yes, it's true. Um, there was another phrase um, in in this passage that uh, kind of stuck out for me and I imagine will have for others is it is it Asa I'm sounding really unsure about this sermon this is because I was in wee TY on Sunday night yeah, okay. um, rather that's than in the sermon that's, that's fine um, a, yeah it was a there were, and it was a there was a lot there we worked hard on Sunday okay, night okay good um, what I thought was quite a warm building I don't know how anyone else felt but there we go um, the phrase I think describing Asa is that right his heart was wholly devoted to the Lord yes now I and I imagine other people like me hear that and think my heart is not wholly devoted to the Lord Mm. Um, am I in trouble Mm. Um, can you just help us out with that yeah sure Uh, it's quite akin to I remember when we preached through Job and Job's described as someone who was blameless and upright Mm -hmm. or I think about it so is King David in the Psalms aye and you read that and you go you just you, you forget that Bible words have Bible meanings and it doesn't mean sinless perfection. And this cannot mean sinless perfection because David, again, so if, you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, chapter 15, David is described as, all the way through kings, as being the kind of uh, standard of king that the other kings of Judah are measured up against. David is kind of the, the king par excellence in the Old Testament. And his heart was wholly true to the Lord his father. And yet he sinned and... In the words of Bob File, he sinned in technicolor. 
He also repented in technicolor mm. as well, and that's what it means to have a heart wholly true to the mm. Lord. It's not. I mean, the end of verse five reminds us that you know he was, he did all that the Lord commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Um, which is quite a big that's accept. a fairly major instance. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's true. But that's what I was I kind of meaning that before about even talking about the way that Asa or Asa, however you want to call him, um, Asa, Asa um, he was faithful, but he was also flawed with that. Um, you know, and you get that, that right. You get that right in the text, don't you? you sat alongside each other. Yes. So hmm. verse thirteen, hmm. there were things he did, like he removes his mother-in-law from being queen, the big lady, because uh, she made an abominable image for Asherah. Mm-hmm. He cut down high place, uh, her image, etc. But the high places were not taken away. Mm. Nevertheless, mm. the heart of Asa, Asa, was wholly true to the Lord all his days. So there, mm. right alongside mm. each other, he he failed to mm. remove these high places. Mm. Nevertheless. Yeah. He's described as holy, following the Lord. So clearly, it's yeah. not yeah. perfection, and yeah. and it's a wonderful pastoral warmth there and realism mm. in the Word of God. And that basically, I I, suggest, I said in the sermon, I think from these passages that to be someone who's holy, true to the Lord, it's just another way of talking about being a real believer, mm. a real person of faith, who um, knows that the Lord's our only hope. He's our only God. Uh, he we seek refuge. Or you know, saving it from sin in Him, and uh, we trust in Him. And that's that's about it's about direction. Yeah. Which direction? Uh-huh. We've been in Mark with the teenagers on a Friday, and of course Jesus says, "Kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn." Mm. And and people who are mm. who have repented and are repenting every day, mm. that's the direction of their life. Another way yes. of saying it. Isn't yes. That? I think it was someone once, I can't remember who it was, but really the whole of the Christian life is one big long conversion <laughs> movement, isn't it? And it's it's about the direction of your life. Are you going to the Lord mm. or away from him? And I, and I try to bring that out in that Psam 24 quote, that, you know, to to be, have wholly devoted heart to the Lord is to not lift your heart up to what is false, mm. which is a false deity or some sort of an alternative mm. to the Lord for salvation. And that isn't beyond us. That's what we really can do. Indeed, we must do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And our reliance is not on how well I do uh-huh. as a believer, but on, on the grace of God yes. towards me yes. as a believer. Yeah. We can you know, we receive that message ourselves quite gladly, don't we? Yeah. Um, because well, we know our own hearts and it's, that's a great relief. But we often don't extend that graciousness to others. And so we can sort of hold other believers up to, you know, you know I, I can see some flaws in their life and you can sort of look, <laughs> you can sort of look down on folk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, someone like Asar, you know, one of the leaders, and he's, he's fought some real battles. Like he's done some big, he's taken some real hits, but he didn't do everything. And we can mm-hmm. sometimes look at leaders like that and think, you know, I can see they've fought some battles, but they've not done that. Yeah. They didn't do that well or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And we can sort of fail to extend yeah. the grace that's been shown to us to others. And maybe that's actually just a little bit of forgetting how much grace has that's been right. shown to me. Right. If I'm looking for those flaws in someone else mm. and not... If I was seeing myself truly as in need of grace and a recipient of grace, mm. I wouldn't be so quick to see them in yeah. in my leaders or in anybody yeah. else, would I? It could also be a great way to justify yourself, actually, can't it? Uh, by pointing out, how look how terrible this person is yeah. and all the lists... And you're totally deflecting all attention onto someone else 
whereas forgetting that actually you're a mess, <laughs> like we all are, yeah. by nature, without God's grace. And we're here and we're mm-hmm. believers by the grace of God. We're, we're yep. devoted to the Lord so, by the grace of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're here where we are. Mm-hmm. We were in church on Sunday listening to sermons by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're still following the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. at the end of whatever day it is that you're listening to this yeah. podcast by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And he's very kind to us. And that was really at the heart of this section of Kings, because you you know Rehoboam is a is a in the words of Dale Ralph Davis is a scoundrel. Um, so is Abijam his son, and you read that and you're like, oh my goodness, how can there still be a kingdom there? Because actually, at the end of the day, it's not that different to Jeroboam up in the north mm. and all the mess up there. But the answer is in four and five of chapter fifteen that. The Lord is faithful to his promises, his gracious promises. Mm. And, you know, yes, David was a faithful king to the Lord, but even that was a gift of God's grace, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Um, he was mm. faithful because God enabled him to mm. be like that way. Um, but ultimately, more importantly, that the kingdom is secure here because uh, God is gracious. And that's, I take it, you're immediately to see the rising up of Asa, that good king as a manifestation of that grace mm-hmm. as well. Right. I love the fact that the Lord didn't just give us a series of propositions about mm-hmm. himself, but uh, all these acted out narratives. Mm-hmm. So next mm-hmm. next Sunday, God willing, you'll be in 1 Kings 16. Yes. Which would be yep. great. Um, and uh, collectively here in this room, we know that Willie is preaching on Sunday, um, but none of us know what he's preaching on. But then Willie didn't know what he was preaching on on Sunday morning before he started preaching so the lord knows we shall look forward to that in anticipation and we'll look forward to joining you there (laughs) 